morning. I want to welcome you to Kesed. My name is Danny. Thank you so much for being here. I, uh, I, uh, I missed you guys. I, I know we were all locked in our houses. How many people just kept getting their kids up ready for school only to then be awake with them too early in the morning by ourselves? Anybody? Yeah? Um, uh, you know, one thing that I really, I really recognized over this recent uh, storm was just how special it is to gather with, with other believers, how special it is to uh, connect with people, and how special it is to be able to be a part of, of this church family that God is growing and leading and guiding and all that, all that stuff. It's just, it was a beautiful thing. So thank you. Thank you for everybody who uh, tuned in last week. If you didn't get a chance to watch, uh, we did, we're, we were able to record Thursday for uh, the series. So uh, this one builds a little bit on that one, not too much, but a little bit. So if you didn't get a chance to go back and watch that, uh, that'd be great. But uh, we're in a series right now called Paper Airplanes, and we're talking about this idea that God created us to create. And we're, we're, we're highlighting this fact that within all of us, uh, there is a desire to create something um, outside of ourselves with the gifts that God has given us, that that's a way that we glorify him with and through our lives. Um, one example of that would be the voice that just uh, spoke over you in the bumper video that we just played. You may not know, but uh, we didn't go buy that. Uh, we actually uh, made that uh, voice. We recorded that with uh, my stepfather, Gary Shelsky. And actually he's here for the first time this week and hearing it in the room. And I, I don't know if you know Gary, but he wouldn't say he's a hyper creative artist type. He's more of a Sam Elliott handlebar mustache, you know, elk camp for three weeks at a time you know, type. And uh, I, I don't know what his friends would say if he, they came in and, and heard him reading this artistic uh, poetry over us. But, but it, it was a beautiful way to highlight that, that all of us have some of that in us when we're willing to risk, when we're willing to step out, and when we're willing to ask big questions about especially areas maybe we haven't tapped into in a long time. Now, when I built the series uh, with our team, we knew that this talk was going to be different because we've had a lot of fun, and this talk is, was a lot of fun. Nine o'clock was exceptionally fun, um, but it is different than, than the other talks because this talk, we're going to talk about creative blockage. We're going to talk about this idea that you may have been listening to this so far, kind of hoping something would awaken in you, but realizing somewhere down deep inside, this maybe isn't just your cup of tea, this isn't your series, or you've already done everything you can do creatively, or you, you already understand this fully because you consider yourself an artist and so on, and, and you, you kind of have a ceiling. And a lot of us experience this. Uh, I know as someone who builds messages, who, who hopes to be creative in communication, that, uh, that I have found myself getting to a point where as long as what I put on my page makes sense and is cohesive, then, 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 then I did the job I was supposed to do. And yet recently, what I've started doing above my sermons is writing the word trust. Right now on my iPad above my message, I have the word trust. And it's not trust that I can read the message to you. It's not trust that I can convey the thoughts clearly. It's trust that the message that I have prepared, that God has given me is for this room at this time right now. Because I'm doing my best and you've showed up, you know, in your Sunday best and we're all here to like participate. But what really is supposed to happen in church where the, where the magic, if you will, is really supposed to, to occur is when we show up with our, with our best, with our offerings, with our, our presence, and then we are able to set it down. And those two things can live in tension. 
And so that's what today is about because I believe whether you're a, a skilled artist and you get paid to create or you're somebody who has never created a thing in your life according to yourself, uh, all of us are supposed to bring our full selves to God and then set it down and let him do whatever he wants to do with it. And so the two words we're gonna use to understand this are the words deepen and discover. And you're gonna find out today in this talk that there is great tension between these two words, that the Bible often calls us to go deep, to look within ourselves at the things God's already planted within us, to, to understand that, that, that we, are, we are being developed constantly by him and we have to put forth effort. We have to put forth discipline. We have to put forth uh, wisdom and all these different things to build this life, to be this person, to create the story that God calls us to create. And at the same time, there's not like a thing you can do to do more than what God wants to do in your life. I don't care how disciplined you are, how structured you are, how artistic you are, without the presence of God and understanding it is all him all the time, all of this is just for you. You're building your own kingdom, you're building your own song, and you're hoping people tune in to look at your life and who you are and what you're about. And the people who do that the worst are the pastors. We're trained to do it. We're trained to be refined. We're trained never to be ugly. We're trained not to let people into our stories. We're trained to be as shiny and as polished as we can possibly be so that we can sell you the best we can, a version of a life you could have if you just decided to live like us. And it's all garbage. It's all garbage. Just this week, just this week, all right, just this week, my wife and I got into the most ridiculous fight we've ever got into in our entire lives. It was so ridiculous that as we decided to get into it, we said, this is ridiculous, but chose to fight anyways. <laughs> That's when you've been married a long time. <laughs> when you're like fighting for style, you're just like, let's see if we can do this different this time, right? <laughs> so it's 25 years, 25 years we've been married and my wife and I are different, right? I'm very, I'm very organized and she's very... Uh, disorganized. She's, I was trying to choose. A, yeah. She's like in my closet, I have all black hangers. They're all facing the direction they should be. They're all in a line. Like they're all, they look sharp. We share a walk-in closet and her section of the closet, it looks like a candy necklace, right? Just different colors of pink and white and blue and green and wire. Who uses wire anymore? Like wire hangers? Like we're not trying to unclog a drain. Like it's just, so, so I, the other day, I, I, had, I had cleaned up some stuff and you know how the hangers eventually kind of sag? That bothers me. I don't like it when they sag. So I threw them away. I go, can you order me some more black hangers? And she did. She's so sweet. I opened the hangers and I was like, what are these? She goes, they're your black hangers. And I said, this is terrible. I said, these are not the same thickness as my other black hangers. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, they are. So I went and got one of the original black hangers and I brought them up to her and I went, watch this. And one barely moved and the other one whipped side to side. And I was like, did you even look at the Amazon review? Did you go back to where you originally ordered them? And she goes, quick question, are you being serious right now? <laughs> and I was like, that, that was the invitation, right? I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. There's a reason we saved these orders and now I'm gonna have two different lengths. So I'm gonna have to have some for t-shirts and some for jeans and it's just an extra step, just an extra step. And she goes, they're all black hangers. And so we had to have this discussion, which ended up in me having two different sizes of black hangers. <laughs> and yet, this, is, this is, should be profound. That, that ridiculousness, that pettiness, that, that just kind of fleshy humanness is still supposed to get up and preach three sermons a week? 
about how to live like Jesus? Do you think if my wife was married to Jesus, he'd walk out and be like, what is this? <laughs> what is going on here, Aaron? I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords. I can't have two different size hangers. Why do I gotta keep having to create miracles in our marriage in order for everything to be good? I don't understand. It wouldn't be that way. He would be gracious, he would be kind, and guess what? He'd probably order his own hangers. <laughs> it's just, it's the point of this that we are people doing the best we can to come together and ask big questions. And, and, and even if those questions lead us to a place of tension, like today will, for today will not end in a beautiful bow with a bunch of resolved thinking. Even if that's the place, maybe there's beauty in realizing that God still, I believe, uses marriage, people who are very different coming together to become one family and one life in a beautiful way to illustrate his church and the way he loves his bride and the way that he operates in the world. Because I'm here to tell you, there's not much more different than me and Jesus or you and Jesus. And yet he just keeps showing up. He just keeps showing up. So the tension is where we're gonna go. I think there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that a friend sent me this week. I've heard it before. I may have preached it a few years ago, but I wanna preach it again because I think that Kesset is doing a really, really good job of fostering this kind of tense thinking. And I think we need to understand that before we dive into first deepen and then discover. So here's the quote. This is from uh, the screw tape, screw tape letters, I believe. He says this about what God wants. What he wants of the layman in church is an attitude which may indeed... Be critical in the sense of rejecting what is false or unhelpful. So he's gonna give you two tracks. The first track is an attitude that says, there is truth, there is light, there is darkness, there is evil, there is wrong, there is right. And my job as a Christian is to do the best I can to look at scripture, to be present with the Holy Spirit and to, to, to wrestle with that and not pretend like all is good and everything's fine and you can just decide what you want and I'll just decide what I want and it doesn't matter. That's not true. Our job as Christian is to hold to the truths and the foundation of scripture. And, but which is wholly uncritical in the sense that it does not appraise, does not waste time in thinking about what it rejects. So just keep it there. So go back to the first slide for me, if you would. What he wants of the layman in church is an attitude which may indeed be critical in the sense of rejecting what is false or unhelpful, but which is wholly uncritical in the sense that it does not appraise, does not waste time in thinking about what it rejects, but lays itself open in uncommenting, this is way before Facebook, folks, uncommenting humble receptivity to any nourishment that is going. He says, you can own it, you can define it, you can say it, and the reality is you can go, this lifestyle seems to be honoring to God. This seems to line up really, really well with what scripture says. This is truth. This is foundational. And you can take those things and go, but I'm not gonna choose these things over being able to be in community and love with people who have yet to discover what it actually means to walk in those deep things. That our job is to see it, to hold it, to wrestle with it, and then to be in an uncommenting place of setting down those things for however it is God wants to reveal his truth to the world. Because I'm here to tell you right now, I'm here with my heart of hearts to share with you that God right now is preaching his word through atheists in our town. Through people who are radically different beliefs and lifestyles than you. There are people who are learning what love is for the very first time who've never stepped foot in church. 
There are those people, they're, they're expressing the hands and feet of Jesus without even knowing it. But what we do, because we wanna be about the depth and the bedrock, and I get those meat and potatoes emails, when are we just gonna preach the book of Romans and just dig down deep? I just need the railroad ties in order for my faith to run on. And I'm like, bro, I would love to do that, but God seems to just be laying over forests. That's where it seems to be his trains run. It's all wood and sort of beams, but it's bumpy and messy and, and hard. And he's calling us into places where our religion doesn't fit and there's no tracks that go there. And he's like, jump off the train, folks. So we're like, but I, I've been a Christian a long time. Like I just earned first class. <laughs> like I just earned first class. And you want me to like go out in the woods with like the yucky people? And that's what I feel often that we do is we understand the depths within us that God has called us to see him, but we don't understand that in spite of those depths, he's calling us to places that are unknown, that require minds of discovery in order to see the ways in which Jesus wants to work, not just, just those are important, but not just the things you learned in Sunday school. Yeah, does it get hot in here to anybody else or is it just me? Yeah, all right. So we're, I told you that... Uh, I told you the job is just to trust today. So um, Ryan does all my slides. Ryan, we're just, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go off script a little bit. Um, our job is to inquire. Psalm 27, four says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Our job is to do this, to go before him, to praise him, to worship him, to do all those things, but also to inquire, to say, okay, God, how's this fit inside my story? Your job is not to take everything I say as spirit. Your job is to filter what I say inside your spirit and ask what's for me and what is not for me. When it comes to engage in our own creativity, the two profound thoughts I want to ask us, the two inquiries I wanna have us walk into, their parallel tracks, are those two words of deepen and discover. Here's my first question. What can I do with what God has already creatively placed inside of me? What can you do with it? We all know a few things in our lives that we are naturally not good at. Stuff you could say maybe is, is not placed inside of you. That's not necessarily the stuff I'm talking about. I illustrated that on week one when I said not everybody's made to be a singer, even though a lot of you just keep trying out. It's just not, it, it, something in our culture says these are the things that you should be good at, you should be under lights, you should be on stage, you should be this. That is, that is not how God equates um, his, his gifts and the value that they bring to the church. It doesn't matter if they're unseen from, by you, they're very much seen by God. So your job is to figure out how to engage those things inside of you that God has placed. For instance, as I said, some of you have things that God has not placed inside of you. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to be vulnerable. I'm not gonna ask for any examples, but I am gonna ask for hands to be raised. Uh, how many people in the room right now cannot whistle? Yeah. Um, uh, our pastor, Chris Potter, I was at a dinner with him recently. Uh, Chris is a brilliant man, master's degree, both pastor and therapist. And uh, he quietly, this discussion came up and leaned over and he's like, yeah, I, I can't whistle. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I, I try it. I do this. And I was like, well, that's why you can't whistle is because you can't do that with your face when you whistle. And he goes, well, that's what I learned when I studied it on YouTube. It's just not in him. Then someone else at the dinner, Lindsay, who opened the worship set today, who was sitting here with you guys, she sang, she's preaching, she's in seminary, she's brilliant. When Lindsay's kind-hearted, is like, that's okay. 
I can't wink. How many people can't wink in the room? Just one eye. Oh. Yeah. All right. Just because this hasn't happened yet, I'm looking for the unicorn. Who in the room, please let there be one, cannot wink or whistle both? Is there anybody? Oh, I'm looking for that unicorn. Somebody can't wink and whistle. And then there's people who are incredibly gifted like me who can wink and whistle both. How many of us can do that, right? But, but Lindsay... <laughs> Lindsay, I asked Lindsay to wink at me and she's like, I'd rather not. And I go, no, it's okay. There's only six of us here and, and no one will ever know. And, and so, and she goes, okay. And she looks at me, she turns her head sideways and she goes. It was, this, it was the cutest thing ever. Some stuff is not inside of us and some stuff is just built inside of us. Uh, as you may have guessed, since I was a very young man, uh, speaking has come very natural to me. It's something that I've just felt like God put inside of me. And it actually started as a problem in my life. Uh, I, I had some difficulty in my story around, uh, around speaking, especially when I worked construction for the first three or four years of my adult career, uh, where many a man offered to shut my mouth for me if I couldn't learn to do it myself. <laughs> I remember there was this guy who, who was known, uh, he was rough, the oldest guy in the crew, and he was rough, sarcastic, very rude. He like, they gave you an orientation during this time where they were like, hey, when you work for Bob, just know he's gonna tear you upside one down the other. And I was like, okay. And, and so he did. So I just thought that's what we did. So then I did. And then he did, and then I did. And then he said something about somebody I cared about. I don't remember one of the other crew members. So I just said something about his wife. She was weird. She was a weird lady. I met her. So he threw a machete at me and it stuck between my legs like a movie in the ground. And I remember thinking, I should probably learn to control this. Now it's, it's funny in a sense, right? But it also became really sad because in my marriage, it meant that anytime my wife and I would get in an argument, 95% of the time she would lose because I would just articulate my way out or into it. It was a big issue until I began to realize this is a gift that God has given me and something that I need to harness and hone. Now you may think because I shared that story, it means that I haven't had to work at it. And so let me just say to anybody in the room who just has a very a surface level natural gift like that, uh, passion cannot replace practice. There's no amount of passion that you can just be like, yeah, I just love this. I just love it. That can replace actually deciding to practice uh, both, both operating the gift, but also not operating the gift. Because sometimes if you end up with shallow character, the only thing you'll throw out everybody in every room you walk in is your one shiny gift. And after a while, people figure that stuff out and you just become a one trick pony and then nobody wants you around them. So something to think about for those of you who have those sorts of gifts. Now, that said, what I really enjoy is this reality that it's hard to actually walk in and discipline yourself when it comes to discovering that deep thing that's inside you. Erwin says in his book, Artist and Soul, we stand between the anvil and the hammer, positioning ourselves in the very place where God can form us into his work of arts. Now, I think some of us read that and we're like, yes, that's what I want. I just want to be like quiet time with the Lord. I just, I just want him to make me and pull out these things deep inside my soul. And I'm like, let me read the quote again. We stand between the anvil and the hammer. 
Most of the time, the refining that will happen inside your story around your gifts, your creative, what God wants to unlock, will be painful. It will be hurtful. It will be you causing pain or, you ca- or bringing pain or pain being caused to you because God is reworking and remolding and reshaping. And your job is really this. It's to just stay between the hammer and the anvil. That's your job. Your job is to put people around you who speak sober, who speak truth and who speak life. I heard recently uh, someone was talking about the qualities of a therapist and they said, here's what you want in the qualities of a therapist. I think it was Dan Allender. He said, you want one who's for you, you want one who's with you and you want one who's against you all at the same time. They're for you, they're with you, like, they're for you, like, let's do it, cheerleading. They're with you, like, we'll do it together. And they're against you when they're like, nah, man, that behavior is not gonna work. And those are the people that keep you between the hammer and the anvil. And those are the people in my life that I can't stand quite often. Because I'm like, just move, just be for me. And they're like, nah, I'm against you today. Just be with me. I just want you to be with me. Now I'm gonna step back and just be for you. I think you got this. Just be against me. I need somebody to argue with. Nah, man, I'm a fan. Get out there and fight it out. Like they just move and circle in my story. And I hope to be that person in other people's stories. But when we avoid certain sections of those kinds of friends, we just end up again, sort of bent in this way that is out of skew and only gifted how we feel we should be gifted. We all have a spiritual responsibility to deepen the skills God has given us. And so find out what we can each do with what God has already creatively placed inside of us. Now, quick side note, important. I have heard people use this kind of thinking as an excuse to live spiritually underdeveloped lives. Basically saying things like, well, I'm just not good at uh, whistling and that also means that I'm not good at loving people. I'm very, very good at leading people, but God just hasn't put a lot of love in my heart. I just don't have a lot of gentleness. I don't have a lot of patience. I'm just not a natural patient person. Like I watched YouTube to try to learn, but it just doesn't come natural to me. And I'm just here to say, I don't think that that's correct at all. Galatians 5 lists these fruits of the spirit and they're not like optional. They're not like pick your favorite one and the other ones just, you know, put in the fruit drawer in in your fridge and it'll last until you you get close to heaven. You're supposed to be developing all of these. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He says, these are the things we're called to develop. And as Christ followers, it doesn't really matter if we are naturally good at the fruits of the spirit. It doesn't matter if it's like, that's just not a deep thing. I just don't have a, I don't have a love for hurting people. You know, I struggle with empathy. I just don't got a love for that. But I'll tell you what, I can cut a check. And that's beautiful and important. But your job is to be through the Holy Spirit's anvil and hammer. Your job, my job is to be developing those things constantly in my life. And often through being in relationship with people, I believe hear from the Holy Spirit who can call out, call up, call down, and call against the things inside my story, usually the ones I hide the best. Some of us are waiting. We're waiting for passion for those things. And uh, no, you don't need passion, you need discipline. You just need to decide that that's what the Spirit said you were called into, and you need to put your life hammer anvil in a place to have those things created inside you. You do not need to be inspired to be loving. 
or patient or kind. You'll be waiting a long time. Besides, God has already inspired you. He pours each of these fruits over your life through his presence every morning and every evening. Always have and always will. He's doing it. And he's calling you to do it as well. And those deep things that awaken in you, those are the things, those are the colors, those are the spiritual crayons that, uh, that, that God uses in order to create the picture of the life that uh, I think he wants you to create. Someone recently sent me a, a caption and it said, just a reminder that broken crayons color too. And I think some of us in the room might think they're, your life's too broken. And I'm just here to tell you the Holy Spirit's not bothered by that at all. As a matter of fact, you might be further ahead than a lot of the rest of us because you recognize the deep things in your story that you need healed while the rest of us are trying to use the deep things in our stories often to heal others when really those things are for us. So here's my second question. Now we're gonna switch to discover. What will God do if you and I refuse to creatively cooperate? Now this is gonna sound really strange because, because the, the, we just talked about your responsibility to deepen, to refine, to color with your, with your broken life, my broken life, to build a picture, to st- sit between the anvil and the hammer and allow God to form something that I get to through self-discipline and, and, and structure use in a beautiful way to practice and so forth. And then the answer to this question is whatever he wants. God doesn't need any of that stuff in order to do the thing he wants to do, and this is, this is where the tension sits, even with your life. I have had people time and time again wanna relieve this space of tension. So what they say is, is, okay, you do the work, you do the time, God's waiting for you to do the time, you're Noah, build the ark. If you don't build the ark, you're gonna drown, log by log, animal by animal. The flood comes, you either survive or you don't. And I'm like, yeah, fair story, but there's a whole bunch of other stories that oppose that very story. And they're supposed to because they're highlighting the fact that there is tension in these two things. We have the Noah story, but then we also have the Jonah story. Noah was obedient for years, built it, predicted it. No one knew what rain even was, right? Everything's a canopy. People are like, this man is crazy. And he's like, let's shut the doors and just wait for God. God shows up and his obedience lifts off the ground and they float away to create a new world. And we teach people that. That's what you should be doing constantly. But then you have the Jonah story. Jonah was also very gifted. Probably the the premier prophet of his time. Of all his contemporaries, people would have been like, whoa, whoa, you know Jonah? Because when Jonah speaks, people listen. God shows up to Jonah and he's like, Jonah, I want you to go to the worst people on the planet that have, pr- have been oppressing your people, have been sacrificing children, have been evil, 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 evil. I want you to go to them with the message of hope I've put deep inside you. And Jonah's like, nope. And you know why he says nope? Because he has such deep reality checks about his gift and the way God has used him. He sat in that hammer amble position for so long. He knows God will use him to save those people. And he's like, nah, I decide I don't want my gift used that way. God used somebody else. So he runs, gets on a boat. He sails the opposite direction and God sends a tiny storm. <laughs> and in the storm, Jonah realizes because of his depth of spirituality, this is my fault. So Jonah goes to the, the captain and he goes to the sailors and he's like, you guys need to throw me overboard or we're all gonna die. And they're like, we don't throw people overboard. We're sailors, like, no. And he's like, no, I'm just telling you, you have to throw me overboard or you're gonna die. And so 
the storm rages and they have discussions. Quick just thought about those of us who have followed God a long time and you have areas in your life you just can't seem to do that you know God wants you to do. I think at this point, because of Jonah's depth, he knows God wants him to, to be thrown overboard, to jump overboard. This isn't a high rail. Why not just fall overboard? Why not just be like, yeah, God, you want me in the sea? Clearly I disobeyed you, I'm going in the sea. And you know why? Because doing things for God is hard. And sometimes you need other people. So Jonah's like, I know I should be thrown into this turbulent, scary sea, but I'm just not gonna do it myself. But I'll go if you guys manhandle me into the sea. I know I will. So I'm gonna use the depth of my gift to prophesy that the truth is God's brought this storm because of my disobedience. I'll confess under lights and on stage in my sermon that it's my fault and that I gotta go in the ocean. I'm not gonna throw myself there at all. That's for sure. You guys gotta do it. This is such an epic picture of pastoring right now today, where we're like, this is the message, this is the truth, this is the life, this is what the book says, this is what God says, and I'm scared to death, I can't even live up to it. And unless I have people who are willing to throw me into that ocean, I'll just stay dry on deck with all of you while we sink this sucker. Yeah, none of this is in the notes. Sorry, Ryan. We'll go, we'll go. It's powerful because it shows that although Jonah knows what God's doing, he knows the acts, you still need people on your crew who sometimes are willing to drown you. Those are the people you should be surrounding yourself with in the name of Jesus. Don't just drown anybody, but in the name of Jesus, throw him over. So he goes over, giant fish comes and swallows him. He's in the belly of the fish three days. The fish swims him to Nineveh. Just a bummer way to get to where God's called you to go. Some of you, side note, I bet you're in the fish right now. You're kicking and screaming. You got acid all over you. You're so frustrated. Don't worry, God's swimming you to Nineveh. You're gonna be okay. But to get there, you might have to be vomited on shore. Which means, theory goes, that when Jonah was vomited on shore, nobody knows this, because of the acid in the fish's belly and so forth, they think he was probably pale and white, which is by the time he got to Nineveh, uh, he looked like a ghost walking around. I don't know that. What I do know is he did not smell good. And that's not always the best kind of prophet to show up to give your words are the ones who just don't smell good and have lived inside a fish for three days. But at least he's now where he's supposed to be. So God returns back to Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Jonah 3, 1 through 5, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this time, guess what? Jonah went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and it gives you this really important note that was three days journey in breath. It's important to remember that. So it says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, listen to his lame sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He doesn't talk about God. He doesn't talk about destruction. He doesn't have three points and a giant clothes with a bell on it. Nobody underscored him. And on top of that, he didn't even go all the way into the middle of the city or around the city. He went like a third or 40% of the way in. He just went enough in that he knew God wouldn't, you know, mess with him again. I'm just going to obey to the point I have to obey God. And then he's buying bread from somebody probably, or, you know, a shower. And then he tells the people, listen here real quick, in 40 days, none of us going to be overthrown. I did it. I'm out. I did it. And this is what happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
uh, 3.10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. It is clear from Jonah's actions that he really wants to be terrible at his calling. He doesn't want to be good at it, yet God is still like, I'm gonna save everyone through you. A lot of the church methodology would have said, Jonah, if you don't do the job like Noah, God's gonna use somebody else who's more obedient, more together, better knowledge, more refined, just you know, overall differently gifted. You have one shot to not fail God. And if you fail God, he's gonna replace you with the next guy in the line who's really behind you thinking, please fail, please fail, because I want my shot. Yeah, but that's not at all what this picture shows. It shows that Jonah doesn't wanna do it, that he runs, that he's disobedient, that he's rebellious, and that even when he does it, he does it haphazardly and irresponsibly. And God's like, done, revival. Jonah gave the worst sermon in history and 120,000 people were saved. He is, according to scholars, the most successful prophet in the entire book next to Jesus and John. And he literally threw a tantrum the entire time. (laughs) The entire time. All the way, by the way, till the very, very end. At the end, he goes up on a hill and he sits to overlook, hoping that God will change his mind and still bring destruction on the people in 40 days. So 40 days, he camps on this hill and guess what happens? 40 days comes, he wakes up, he watches. He's like the Grinch on Whoville when Christmas still comes that morning, right? They're like, he's like, what? Maybe there is something different about this God. Everybody's still celebrating and living. And he's like, I knew this would happen. And he's living with God and he's baking in the sun. And so God being God, watching his tantrum throwing prophet be enraged by the salvation he brought his people, brings a vine to grow it over him so that Jonah can have shade. And suddenly Jonah feels very loved. He feels very relieved. He feels like, God, you see me and you get it. And God's like, I do see you and I do get it. And here's a worm to eat the vine and the vine dies. And Jonah's like, how could you? And God looks at him and the book ends in this tragic way, looks at him and with the city in the background and the dead vine behind him, basically tells him you don't get any credit for any of it and you wouldn't even if you would have been obedient. I do what I do what I do. And you're just part of it. We are called to discover this place and this place is hard to stay in because it puts us in direct tension with the deepening place because if God's gonna do what he's gonna do in your life, why try? And yet if you're not somebody who tries, the tragedy is even when God does what he does in your life, you will miss it. And you will focus on vines instead of lives. And you will become a, a, a person who lives in the shade, constantly trying to get underneath the next movement of God, only to watch it fade while God's showing you the movement out in front that he's doing in spite of you, that if you just would have got in the boat and went to Nineveh in the first place, you could have celebrated the incredible graciousness of God. But in order to celebrate the graciousness of God for dark people, for, for broken people, for lost people, for evil people, you have to realize you are those people. Jonah was going as this medicine for these people, this inoculation, when really what Jonah should have been living in is a posture to say, God, I don't deserve to be your prophet, to be your pastor, to be a speaker, teacher, creative, mom, dad, husband, wife, worker, citizen. I don't deserve any of the beauty and the grace you've given me. So whenever you call me to love someone who's different than me, I will love them how you have loved me. 
And if we can do that, then suddenly the two places of tension become the hammer and the anvil. And we get to live our lives being constantly purged and remade and purged and remade and purged and remade by the one who deems it all. And in that place, everybody belongs because nobody belongs. There is no male, female. There is no Israelite, Ninevite. There is no, there is no uh, uh, person who's of this country versus this country. There is, no, there, is no, there is no otherness than otherness. And inside that place, we can say, God, you use us how you use us. And we are so grateful that you do. And we have a responsibility to steward it to the very best of our ability so that we can participate and see the ways in which you want to save people while also covering us in the shade of your presence. At the end of it all, it's God saying, I want you to discover something about me that I'll work within the limitations of your life because it shows how great I am. It's not how God prefers because the tragedy of that in the end is a Jonah life. You see that really common right now in churches uh, like ours, like we're very sensitive about a few things here at Kesed. We have some close-handed things that, that you're just not going to change here. Like Jesus is Lord. There's only one God. There's, there's not 10 different ways to heaven. Some of that stuff that people don't like and they leave over. But then we've got some other stuff like people who say that uh, we should be teaching tithing on a regular basis regularly teaching it every single week because there's so much blessing and giving. And I'm like, hey, we got a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds and a lot of people are church hurt people who were manipulated for money coming out of other churches. So we're gonna be thoughtful about how we do it. And people are like, well, then I'm not leaving because you know, if where your money is, is where the spirit is, somebody said one time. And I'm like, I don't, I understand. <laughs> and I don't understand now, what it means is that God provides for us, but he often doesn't provide for us in a way that a church our side would normally be provided for if we just taught uh, about money on a regular basis. And here's how the mindset works living in the tension, how the elders, the pastors, and the rest of us live in this. God will provide for us and we will obey him as he asks us to teach. And it's not the best that we don't participate in giving, serving in kids, helping, partnering, being a part of the community and not just taking, not because God won't provide for his church, but because the tragedy is you will miss out in seeing how he provided for his church through you. But guess what? God's gonna pay all the bills. It's his church. God's gonna take care of everything. And he's asking us to take care of everything. This goes through all the areas of Kesed, all the areas of his kingdom, all the areas of, of taking care of people, the poor, the hungry, the widows, the orphans, all the rest. It's not that God won't take care of them. The tragedy is we sit on a hillside and worry about the vine instead of the people out in front of us God has called us to participate in. And we don't do it because we don't wanna sit in the tension. We wanna be all about deepening, or we don't wanna be about deepening, refining our gifts, and we wanna just be all about discovery and nothing really matters and everything's ethereal. And it's both, my friends. And it has to stay both. And the bigger Kesed gets, this is my clothes, the bigger Kesed gets, the harder it will be for us to stay both because people start camping. And they start trying to force me and the others who lead here to camp and we're not gonna do it. And if that makes you uncomfortable, that's awesome because there are so many churches with so much room for you to go and sit. We only have 45 parking spots as it is. <laughs> There's so many beautiful churches, beautiful churches. 
but we're gonna preach the gospel. We're gonna love God's people and we're gonna show up as he asked us to and that's gonna create tension and we're not gonna leave that space. And it's ugly and it's gonna stay ugly. So as you see us getting prettier and prettier, be concerned. If we stay in this ugly, messy place where you're like, I don't know if I love all this. Perfect, welcome to your church. (laughs) If you're like this, I hate it. Awesome, you might not belong here. And if you're like this and it becomes a brand and religion and you finally found the one who said it all, not yours either probably. We are called to something more and something different and something beautiful. For in the end, whether we need to deepen or we need to discover, we each get to choose how we will respond to the places God is calling us into so that we can experience him and his gifts for us. And then we'll just see what happens. But I'm gonna uphold my responsibility and I'm gonna know that if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, the church would be just fine and God would keep it up doing exactly what it's gonna do. He doesn't need me at all. And it goes the same for you. Not that I wish busness upon any of your lives. (laughs) I hope you participate. I hope you reflect. I hope you disagree with the percentage. I hope some of it is new. I hope you wrestle with it. Um, And I hope you talk with somebody in your life that can challenge you, that can be for you, with you, and against you all at the same time. And above it all, I hope the Holy Spirit transcribes and impacts and translates and communicates his heart for his kingdom, this church, your life, your story, and the way he wants to use it to create something beautiful to reflect the God who created you. Amen. We stand and we'll close together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for this messy message. Thank you that uh, only you can use it how you want. Only you can redeem it. Only you can uh, heal it. Only you can restore it. Only you can walk it. Uh, into the hearts of those who needed to hear it. I pray, Lord, for people uh, seeking a home to belong to, that it would be a a place between that that anvil and the hammer, that that they would know that that where you have them is is where they are, and that you, Lord, above it all, are, uh, are walking alongside them. Thank you for the way you use our stories and for being so willing to, uh, to love us as we are. We lift this up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. See you next week.